A white man? No! Welcome to the Unsub is a White Man. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. And we are back with a quintessential episode of Criminal Minds. This one is great. It's a classic. It really is. I feel like it's one of the episodes where if I had to introduce someone to Criminal Minds, it would be on the short list. Not the top one, but it would be on the list. But it gives you the essence of how... Silly. Yeah. <laughs> this show can be. Yeah. And it, I feel like this is like a huge step in that direction as far as a lot of the crimes go moving yeah. forward. Because they take themselves very, very seriously in the first two seasons. Yeah. And now we've made a large departure from that. <laughs> like, what if we still made it like a procedural, but everything was just silly? Yeah. <laughs> it is the silliest takedown, the silliest crime. Yes. Just, it's just great. Uh, we are talking about Scared to Death, yes. which originally aired October 10th, 2007. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this one starts off with a bang. There's... Uh, Quite see- literally. Good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You see like a window, like a glass window, and hear mm-hmm. somebody like inside banging around in it. And then you see the face like smash up against the window. Mm. Um and uh, she's like this woman screaming for help. And there's a white man in a suit and glasses. And he tells her it's been seven minutes and asks her if it's worse than she thought. Um, and then we see that she's actually locked in a trunk mm-hmm. in his office. Yeah. So like you can tell that this is like a patient doctor kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's just very clear. They don't go right out and say it, but it's very yeah, clear. Yeah, you can tell. Yeah. Um, Which I mean... <laughs> Unmatched level of trust here in a psychiatrist. I love my therapist, but no. I know. I can't imagine any situation where a therapist would be like, so I just, I need you to climb into this trunk. (laughs) And I'm going to lock you in. You won't be able to get out. Like, no. (laughs) No, absolutely not. No one else is present. (laughs) No, like leave your phone on the table. It's not going to happen. No, none of this is a good idea. Mm -mm. Uh, But he sits at his desk and he makes a note about anxiety. And then he checks on her and she's passed out. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he turns off the lights, his little desk lamp, and he just sits there in the dark. Ugh. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a great opening. It is a great opening. <laughs> um, so then at the BAU, everybody's trying to decide what to do with Gideon's stuff. They're all so traumatized. Everyone's so like everyone looks shell shocked. Yeah, in this episode. Yeah, they're like he left everything in his office. And it's like, like one box he? with a plant. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> she just got one of those little like brown bankers boxes. Yeah, it's like with what the... are we gonna do with all this stuff? Like I have more stuff in my backpack <laughs> than there is in that box. But it's like we've seen his office, and like there's a bunch of like. Like, you know, like abnormal psychology textbooks and stuff. And yeah. it's like, if that's not your job anymore, why would you want any of that? Right. Of course you'd leave that all behind because the people who still work there would have a use for it that you would not at right. all. Right, right. But it's like, they, it's like, I don't know, the office is his tomb and they can't disturb any yeah. of his stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, he, the only thing he took with him was all of the photographs of the people that he saved. Mm. 
Um, so Strauss walks in uh, to Hotch's office and he's just sitting there staring sadly at his kid's <laughs> shitty handprint art. It's like a flower <laughs> made out of handprints. Um, she tells him that they need to find a replacement for Gideon and gives him a bunch of file folders and says that she'd like to have his input. He's like already like he's not a family member that died. How long are you supposed to wait? It's an open position. Yeah. They're like, but but you know, how could we replace him? You're like, it's, you have to, Yeah, (laughs) you need someone to do his job. You can't do it without him. Mm -hmm. Uh, or without, you know, a lead profiler. Yeah. (laughs) You've seen what the rest of these people do on their own. (laughs) Um, so then he goes back into the briefing room and, uh, he's like, so I know we're all wondering what happened like, he's like, you know, I, I know you're all, you all just want to know. And, uh, He's like, I've known Jason a long time, and even I couldn't tell you what this is all about. You're like, I could. I could. I've known Gideon for less than 50 hours yeah. from my <laughs> television watching time. I can tell you it's like most people are going to have a pretty extreme reaction to a loved one being murdered in their own home. Mm-hmm. And that's without the added layer of being murdered by a bad guy that you personally failed to apprehend yeah. several months ago. It's like, of course he's losing his mind. It's a bit of foreshadowing there for Hotch's character arc. Yeah. Just. Like you guys are just <laughs> supposed to be a bunch of like psychology experts and you're like, what could be bothering him? It's so strange. The here really, yeah, we're going to... Hmm. Don't want to give too much away if anyone out there has not watched all of these yet, but, but yeah. yikes. <laughs> it's, Be it's, worried for Hotch. It's a problematic <laughs> level of cluelessness. Um, so anyway, uh, JJ tells us that I have found um, a bunch of bodies in Oregon along a hiking trail that have signs of torture, including being burned alive and asphy- asphyxiation. And Prentice points out that three of the victims had been buried together in one mass grave. They call it a mass grave, which seems odd for three bodies. They're but. rounding up, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but one was buried separately, the latest one. Yeah. Um, and Morgan's like, do you think it's a pattern? I wrote this part down, too. <laughs> like, that's... that's a- the opposite a of a pattern, pattern of what? It doesn't repeat. And she goes, it's hard to tell. And I was like, that's because you have no information as of yet. Zero. Yeah. It's like, no, that's a, a clear deviation from the pattern that had already yeah. been established where he was burying the bodies in the same place. If they had found like a group of three and a single one and another group of three and a single one, I'd be like, wow, it's a pattern. Yeah. He needs to join uh, calendar time in your classroom <laughs> yeah. so he can work on his pattern Do building. Do some pattern building. Yeah, this is a lot. <laughs> Um, so then we get our first quote, the Taoist philosopher Lao Tzu once wrote, he who controls others may be powerful, but he who has mastered himself is mightier still. Mm. Yeah. So we learn that all the victims have been 20 to 30 years old, both men and women, different methods of killing. Um, Garcia also calls them on the plane to let them know that the killer has been reaching out to the victim's families, posing as the victims to reassure them that everything was fine even long after they'd been dead. Crazy. You're like, oh. And, and, and they, the unsub wasn't using their email accounts. He was like spoofing their name because they were at different dom- domains. Yeah. Which I find so odd because I feel like if I got an email from like my brother, but it wasn't. For at, at a Gmail G- or a something. A Gmail like everyone has? Yeah, I'd be like, this is weird. 
I still think no it's weird flags. when I get an email from somebody and they have like a Yahoo account. Yeah, like and it's anything their legitimate that's not account. anything that's not your name at gmail.com <laughs> is obviously fake. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Hotch and Morgan and Reed, once they get to uh, Portland. Uh, go to the latest victim's apartment to check it out. Um, Reed and Morgan decide to take the elevator, but it's like a really small old elevator and Hodge is like, no, thank you. I'll run up the stairs. Yeah. Um, so he takes the stairs, the elevator um, like jams and stops and mm. then like drops a few feet. And Morgan and Reed are both like losing their minds. As and, I would be too. Oh yeah. And there's uh, the elevator door proves to be too much of a challenge for Morgan. Yeah. He <laughs> can't the, muscle his way through the that one. door he can't get out of. And that does not go over well with him. <laughs> uh, but finally the door opens and they like fall out of the elevator into mm. the hallway. And Hodge is like, Oh, is that the elevator alarm? Because he's just like <laughs> wandering coolly up and down the hall like a doofus. He's preoccupied by his home problems. Yeah. I loved that very early into this episode, uh, we get a glimpse into the BAU's fears. Like, Reed is super freaked out by elevators immediately. Yeah. And, and like Hodge Morgan, is even like, more afraid. Yeah. Like, Morgan like teases him about it a little bit, but then. Obviously, also freaks out that. Yeah, once it drops a little bit, it'd be like, this is how we die. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the landlord says that the FBI has already been there and didn't find anything. And you're like, why was the FBI already there? This wouldn't be a federal case. No. I, I have no idea. Yeah. I thought it was strange that the landlord hung around for the, them to search and they're like explaining things to him as if they have to justify their reasons for being there. Yeah. He was wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, it was very odd. Weird dude. Um, So they notice that Jenny, the latest victim, only used her shower for storage. And the landlord also points out that she never used the elevator. Like, well. Yeah, and Morgan's like, yeah, who could blame her? (laughs) (laughs) It's a death trap. Um, They determine that she must have been claustrophobic and also that she was new to the city with no social ties. But there's like nothing else about her apartment that suggests claustrophobia. Yeah, well, they like they walk in, and Hodge immediately is like, "Well, this is where she spent most of her free time." You're yeah, like, like, first of all, most people right <laughs> spend a good deal of their free time at their homes. Mm-hmm. That's not abnormal. But yeah. then also, how could you tell that? Right. There's a lot of assumptions made in this yeah. episode. We're we're back to just making things up that fit our narrative. Yeah, because there's like stuff all over the place, and Reed's like, "Ooh, looks pretty lived in," and you're like, yeah. "Yes, this is what houses that she, people yes, live she in lives look here. like." Yeah. Like, <laughs> And it just like, like maybe she's just not super neat. Like there's and well, like there's still boxes and stuff. She hasn't been living there that long. She's still like getting settled. It seems like yeah. I don't know. I thought it was all really strange. And if it's so packed, that packed full of stuff, that seems like the opposite of seems like claustrophobia. That scare a claustrophobic person. right? Or, like, yeah, make them anxious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then the scene. Like God, I love Prentice. <laughs> I love Prentice, but like. <laughs> Man, so she's like looking at the cork board with the information. She's mm-hmm. like, I've been over the, the details of this case so many times I could recite them in my sleep. And mm-hmm. you're like, you have been on this case for including the plane ride maybe six hours. Yeah. Like, and you should, you should be able to recite <laughs> yeah. the details of the case like in your sleep. You haven't, you, you've been on the, like at the BAU where you were briefed mm-hmm. briefly, <laughs> then you were on the plane and now you're 
at the office. You've done yeah. nothing. You're nope. still in the same outfit. Uh, yeah, you're wearing the same <laughs> the same red tank top printed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I'm like, you haven't been on the case this long. Like, no. chill out. <laughs> but yeah, you guys have stared at a cork board for way longer than this in yeah. the past. Um, so the FBI agent, um, agent Calvert comes in to say that he just talked to Jenny's family and they weren't really close. Um, and they are just musing about how there's no real similarities between the victims, uh, beyond being new to the city and just kind of being loners. Just like he is, right? Cause he's from Boston. Mm. They talk about his accent and I was like, what accent? Yeah. They're like, ah, oh, you're from Boston. And he's like, Yeah pretty obvious out here you're like that's not what people from boston no like like, you don't i wouldn't have i would like uh okay no it sounded like like relatively like east coast yeah but not nothing that you're like wow that is boston right it was i thought it was so (laughs) the boston accent is very distinct i couldn't get over it no Every time I think of a Boston accent, I just think of that one. Uh, the SNL, the SNL, SNL Casey Affleck. <laughs> yes. He's like, I'm the mayor of Duncan. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what everyone in Boston actually <laughs> sounds like. Um, so the we see the killer. He's back in his office. Um, he turns off his lights and remembers being yelled at as a child for being afraid of the dark. Yeah, there's a lot of mommy issues in this. Yeah. Um, so he just like sits there in the dark for a minute and then... Uh, turns the lights back on and calls his next client into the room. And you're like, you're insane. Um, so the client says that he thinks that he's ready to move on to the next phase. Yeah, and he, he the psychiatrist guy is like, so what progress do you think we've made now that this is our fourth session? I was like, what? Yeah. That's- you don't even know each other yet. You're not so, making yeah. any progress. We have re- very realistic expectations yeah. then. And I, so the, cause they don't, I feel like you don't get a good look at the unsub. Like we know he's the unsub, but it's not like he's a spotlighted in any way. And I was like, his voice sounds so familiar. Do you know who he is? No. He's been in like a million things. Michael O'Keefe, he was Fred on Roseanne. Really? Yes. Like that's huh. why he sounds so familiar. Yeah. He looked, yeah. Like they, he's just he a just, very nondescript person. Yeah. And he's like done, you know, like eight or 12 episodes on a bunch of different stuff, but he was yeah. on Roseanne for a really long time. Huh. Like, oh yeah. He was also on Homeland for a while. Really? Hmm. Huh. Interesting. Uh, so yeah, the, uh, back at the FBI headquarters, uh, JJ and agent Calvert are brainstorming and thinking about things that people who are new to cities do when they get there. Yeah. I loved this list. It's like the list of the most responsible adult I've ever heard in yeah, my life. They're like, he's like, well, first you, uh, find the best coffee in town. Mm-hmm. He's like, and then I joined a gym and you're like, okay. And he's like, and then I found a doctor and a dentist and a place to get my dry cleaning done. Like, and all of a sudden I'm like, I've, <laughs> I've literally lived in this town for 13 years and I don't know where I would go if I needed something dry clean. Yeah, it's like, I, just, like, I wow, have absolutely one no One month idea. in and he's booked a doctor and a dentist? Like he didn't just wait until there was an issue and then find one of those? No. So, Man. It's a lot. He's so responsible. Responsible guy. Way to go, Asian Is Calvert. he single? <laughs> uh, yeah. Is he available for life coaching? Yeah. Um, but yeah, he... Um, 
And then we cut back to the unsub and his client, Patrick, and they're like walking through the hallways and he's telling him all about like the, the work that the Goodman Institute does. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Ooh, the, the good man Institute, cause you're the bad guy. <laughs> I get what you did there. <laughs> it's so subtle. <laughs> Dumb name. Um, but yeah, anyway, then they, um, head to just a dock. Yeah. They're just on a, on a random it's dock. It's a very short dock, too, I want to point out. This dock does not, like, stretch way out into the deep water. No, it's... They're quite close to the shore. Yeah, it's, like, four <laughs> feet long. Yes. <laughs> um, but, they yeah. They could have waded in from the shore, but no. Yeah, uh, Patrick says that um, he's got some, like, fear of water... He never learned how to from swim. Like camp or something. Yeah. He tells some story about summer camp when he was a kid. And he never learned how to swim and he's afraid of drowning. Um, but then we get our profile. Mm, yes. Um, so we know that this guy used Wildwood Trail as his personal graveyard for six months. That site's been blown for him now, which means he's been forced to change part of his MO, which won't be easy for someone who thrives on being in control. The reason he's gotten away with the first three murders. Were there four? Four. Yeah, because there, there were three were in the mass grave. Right, and then, and then the then fourth. Jenny. But they say three. I rewound it and double-checked. Mm-hmm. Is that he's been meticulous at every stage, from how he chooses his victims to their torture and their burial. To us, his victims appear to be nonspecific, other than being new to Portland. All that they share is a torturous death. And then the local guy asks, uh, but you think the unsub chooses them for another reason, too? And Prentice says, we think so. Yeah, obviously. The tortures lack a sexual component, which is incredibly rare. So it's not so much about exerting power, but more overcompensating for a lack of it. This guy craves control. He's coming from a place of weakness and trying to demonstrate strength. We see this a lot in unsubs who've been abused. The lack of sexual assault could be as simple as the fact that he's impotent, something that he struggles with trying to hide. A man this obsessed with control usually feels powerless in his everyday life. He would crave stability and security, so he's most likely married. If he's impotent, he could keep up appearances by adopting children. Someone this methodical has every moment planned. If he's captured, he'd most likely take his own life rather than give up any sort of control. The victim's lack of defensive wounds suggests that they are willingly putting themselves in danger, so someone in authority or otherwise easily trusted put them up to this. Also, the victim's families were led to believe their loved ones were alive and well through emails written by this murderer. He's calculating and he's intelligent, and we're going to have to do something that he's not expecting, like warning his potential victims. Which, how? Because you don't know how he's choosing them. But, okay. All right. Uh, but yeah, the whole time that they're doing the profile, it's like cutting back and forth. Um, and we see Patrick getting down into the water uh-huh. like a real doofus. Oh, here's and the thing. Short dock. Mm-hmm. Maybe it gets deep quickly. Sure. Lakes do that. Patrick is super tall. Mm-hmm. He's not far from either the shore or the dock itself. Yeah. So... That I just—he's literally within arms, arms reach. an arms reach, and like I get that they're like he never learned how to swim. You can you still flail your, around your body, like you don't have to like you know know how to do a perfect butterfly stroke mm-hmm. in order to as a 
a grown sentient adult right. flail yourself two feet forward right. to, grab to grab the something. ladder you in don't... water that is probably five feet deep while right. you are a six foot two man. And even like, I mean, even little kids who don't have the same life experience yeah, or, you know, fully formed brain still flail themselves around until they get so tired they drown. Yeah. You you don't just jump in and sink to the bottom. That's yeah, that's and not then how it works. stay there until you die. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no, if only there was something I could do. <laughs> like Patrick is tall enough that if he pushed off of the bottom when he sank, he could fling himself yeah, at the like, dock. You're you, you you can still see the shore. You're like right. six feet away from the shore. Yeah. This water is not 12 feet deep. Right. And even if it was, you could still flail yourself close enough to the shore yeah. to get a hold of something. Um, but yeah, the the doctor has like, um, I wrote a lifeguard stick thing because at that point I didn't know what it was called. They mm-hmm. say it later. Um but he he's like holding that out and Patrick's holding onto it and mm-hmm. then he uses it to like push him like an extra six inches away but, and but then, then lets, he lets go, go of it. it Patrick could use it to get himself <laughs> back to shore. He does he does not choose to do that. Sarah. No. <laughs> he doesn't even cry for help. No. He just sinks like a stone. Yeah. And um, that's when I stopped feeling bad for Patrick. I know. He didn't even try like, to live. You, you're, you're really making it too easy. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So Patrick's dead in this five-foot deep water. <laughs> um, and his landlord is really worried about him. So she calls the FBI because there's been a press conference or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wants to report him missing. Um, she knows he hasn't been gone that long, but he has a routine that he never deviates from. And he never came home for lunch. And his dog is barking, and she's still not letting the dog out of the cage. Yeah, she's just like, stop barking! Like, (laughs) feed that poor dog and let it out. It probably has to be. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so the unsub gets home, and his absolute harpy of a wife Uh (laughs) um, is mad because he didn't call to say that he'd be late. Mm -hmm. Um, He yells at her, and he, like, in a flash, like, turns into... (laughs) What I understand now is supposed to be his mother, but mm. at first glance, I thought was Dolores Umbridge from the <laughs> Harry Potter movies because she looks exactly like her. It's She's like even weird... wearing the same clothes. Yeah, that's true. She, she is. looks like a Melda The same Stompton. haircut. Yeah. Um, it was a weird move because we've never, we've heard the mother yelling at him in these flashbacks, but we haven't seen her. Yeah, and which the camera's is why only it, like, focused on the kids. So, like, transforming into what we assume to be the mother is like, but why? You haven't set this up for anything. Yeah, yet. it was very confusing. And she looked like Professor Umbridge. So it's yeah. just like, man, if <laughs> Professor Umbridge was yelling at me, I would be very upset too because she's mean. Um, but anyway, uh, he like, she's like, uh, yells at him because his dinner is cold and he like mm. starts like shoveling food into his mouth and he's like, is this what you want? You want me to eat? And all the food's falling back out of his mouth. Just shoveling mashed potatoes. Yeah. And then she like, he like takes the whole plate and just throws it in the sink and walks away. And she's like, how dare you? It's a lot. There's a lot of interaction happening yeah. there. Um, but then he goes up to tell his daughter goodnight. And she's like, why were you yelling at mom? And he's like, oh, nothing you need to worry about. And she's like, is it because mom always yells at you? Ooh. You're like, oh, we've got a couple of astute kids these last yeah, couple of episodes. That's very true. Um, 
And she's afraid of the dark and begs him not to turn out the nightlight, but he does anyway because it will mess with her melatonin production. Mm-hmm. And she needs to grow. Yeah. And so he just turns the light off and walks away, um, which would be worse, except um, there's, there's full daylight <laughs> yeah. outside the window. Fully daylight outside, yeah. <laughs> it is very bright. It's, it's like, like, you know what, what be making it hard for her to sleep? <laughs> it's one o'clock in the afternoon. Either that or there's a street light directly outside her window, but it is very Either bright. way, she's got a built-in nightlight there. Yeah. Um, so then a runner finds Patrick's body mm-hmm. on the uh, bank of the river or lake. What are they in? I have no idea. I'm so confused. <laughs> Whatever body of shallow body of water that was. Yeah. Because there's like a bridge over it that he's running yeah. on. So it looks like a river. Mm-hmm. But like. I mean, it could be a bridge over a lake, I guess. I guess. I don't know. It doesn't seem like a long bridge either, I don't know though. Portland geography enough to even no, guess I'm... what that body of water might Mm-mm. be. Um, but anyway, they say that his neck and shoulders are very bruised. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense. Which you would think would be from the shepherd's crook, which Morgan calls a shepherd's crook. So mm-hmm. now I know what it's called. Um, but he doesn't poke but, him with it a bunch of times. Well, no, but like if he like had it like looped around to like, because isn't that what you're supposed to do with it? They're yeah. supposed to put it around your like neck and arm and then hold onto it. Yeah. But he didn't do that. No. Like Patrick and- was holding onto the pole itself. Right. So there's no... No, there would be no abrasions from that. And it's yeah. not even like he poked him with it to push him away and no, he keep just, him underwater he just or something. He just go. let go of it. So, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but anyway. They um, say it's defensive wounds. Morgan though. is just bare hands holding the shepherd's crook. <laughs> and he's like, we also found this. Why not? Um, so then Hotch and Reed are looking at the ways that all of these people are killed. And they realize that they're all common fears. <laughs> And immediately jump to the assumption that the killer is murdering everyone based on their deepest fears. The biggest leap yet. Yeah. Like, we know that's what's going on, but you guys don't know. And it's so convenient that you've decided that's what it is and it happens to be correct. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so who would know about this number of people's deepest fears as well as know all of this information about their families? Their psychiatrist. Exactly. Nobody else. <laughs> no one else. <laughs> it's like, so just put Garcia on it, go through their medical records, mm-hmm. figure out. Yeah. Start looking at. Yeah. Do they do that? No. No. They don't. No. <laughs> no. Um, what they do do hmm. is go to the laundromat. Yes. <laughs> Nearest Patrick's house. Yeah. Um, and also we see a quick clip of... Um, Prentice and Reed talking about missing Gideon Mm. and Reed mentions that his father also left him a note when he left Mm -hmm. and Prentice says that Reed or that Gideon left him the note specifically for a reason and he needs to figure out why that is. She also says some bullshit line about like your dad gave you 10 good years and you choose not to remember anything good. Like you don't know that. Yeah. It's like also it seems like Reed's... Childhood was pretty traumatic. Yeah. And also, and I don't remember like, a lot of stuff from before I was 10. Right. And you shouldn't be like, you're choosing to be sad about this horrible thing that happened in your life. Yeah. That your your stable parent abandoned you with your extremely unstable yeah. mother. And then you had to grow up like that. And even, even if anything was good before that, uh, doesn't count now. Yeah. I don't know. Prentice is off in this episode. It's like somebody different wrote her for the first time and they didn't know what to do with her or yeah. something. Yeah. It's weird. Um, but we also see that the unsub has a new patient mm. and she's new to Portland and she doesn't know anyone here. Oh. Like, oh, just as tight. 
Um, so anyway, at the laundromat, yeah. uh, they find a flyer for a controlled research experiment through the Goodman Institute for people with anxiety. Oh. Yeah. Um, so that's a little suspicious. Mm-hmm. Um, but Morgan is like, hey, you know what we should do with the information we've got on this flyer? We should go to the coffee shop nearest the li- <laughs> nearest mm-hmm. the last victim's house to see if we can also find a flyer there. Mm-hmm. Like, no, what, call why don't the you call? number? <gasps> call the number is all I yelled for like the next Just ten minutes. Go while I there wasted and time. start poking yeah. around. <laughs> call the number and pretend to be interested in what's on the flyer and see what information you can yeah, get. It's called detective work. No, um, but yeah, they don't do that. Um, there's still like 20 minutes left, so. Yeah, they, <laughs> they couldn't do that yet. Yeah. Um, so the new victim is, is in therapy. She tells the unsub that um, she hasn't told anybody about how she is in therapy now. Um, she's a seasoned scuba diver, but she's supposed to be going on this cave diving trip, and she's really nervous about it. She should be. That sounds scary. And I was like, it's, what's amazing about this episode is all of these people have one like really defined fear. If you talk to me about doing cave diving like that, I'm filled with many fears, many different fears about all the things that could go wrong. Yeah. In day-to-day life, I'm filled with multiple fears. Like, yeah. How do you pick just one fear to focus on? Yeah. Well, it's convenient. I guess. (laughs) My anxiety knows no bounds. (laughs) Um, So she's afraid that the walls of the caves will collapse in on her and she'll be buried alive. Mm. I'm like, okay, but that's... I'd be more concerned about my equipment malfunctioning and then suffocating yeah. under the water or yeah. being eaten by a shark. Or like getting in there somewhere and not being able to get back out. Yeah. I'm like still- the walls of a cave crumbling in on me while I'm scuba diving is really low on my list of fears. Yeah, there are, my, there are much bigger things to be worried yeah. about. Um, but the good news is uh, the, the unsub thinks he can cure her in just one single session. And like, haven't you ever heard of too good to be true? Yeah. She's like, great, She's perfect. Like, oh, that sounds great. That's exactly what I'm like, looking for. Like, when is this scuba diving trip? Tomorrow? You have to solve this fear right now? Yeah. Um, so at the coffee shop, they do find another flyer from the previous summer. And they're like, oh, he could have been doing this for a long time. Do they call the number on the flyer then? No. Um, <laughs> they're like, we should check the trail for more yeah. victims. And they say in just a moment that it's a 40-mile trail. Yeah. So instead of following up on the viable lead they've found in not one, but two places where they know victims have been, mm-hmm. they're going to spend all of their resources combing a 40-mile trail. Also, my question mm. here. hmm the biggest question that nobody bothers to answer. How did he get the bodies to the trail? Out onto the trail uh-huh. to bury them. Because he didn't kill them out there. Right. He killed them in another location and mm-hmm. then dragged them 15 miles out into this trail yeah, and dumped true. their bodies. You can't do that. People are heavy. (laughs) (laughs) And this seems like it's a well-known trail because in the press conference earlier, they call it by name. Yeah. So there would be people around, right? So let's see you dragging your body. Dragging dragging an adult's body? Very slowly. (laughs) Oh my God. It's so ridiculous. All they need to do is call the number on the flyer, pretend to be interested in the therapy and then set up some sort of sting or something. No. Um, no, they're going to look for the bodies on the trail. But 
it's a good thing they do because boy, do they find them. <laughs> they find 12 more bodies. Mm-hmm. You're like, this is a really inefficient, like financially inefficient way to run a therapy. Practice. Yes. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, Morgan calls Garcia who makes fun of him for losing his shit in the elevator. Mm-hmm. Um, she traced the number on the flyer and, uh, because somebody's doing their job and the Goodman Institute's website looks legit, but it's super fake. And Dr. Barry Goodman doesn't even exist. Mm. Um, so, <laughs> so here we go. So here we go. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> so the unsub takes the new victim mm-hmm. to the I think basement. Her name's Missy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he takes Missy mm-hmm. to the basement of the building, mm-hmm. and um, she—it's his cave approximation. Yeah. He's like, this is the closest thing we can get to a cave, and you're like, no, it's not. You could find. <laughs> It's a basement. What you should look on Wildwood Trail. I bet there's, some <laughs> I bet there's one there. Um, and then you wouldn't have to drag a body right. so far, too. So that would be nice. Um, so she's like, oh, thank you so much. That tea you gave me really calmed me down. And like, then she's oh, like, Missy. oh, oh no, I'm feeling woozy. Um, so then she starts to lose consciousness. Consciousness, mm-hmm. and he pushes her into the pit at the bottom of the elevator shaft. Mm-hmm. Um, and her being drugged and out of her mind is the only explanation for what happens next. Um, so (laughs) then he makes a note in his little notebook and then Mm -hmm. he flashes back to his mother, locking him in a dark closet. And then Mm -hmm. when he comes out of the flashback, he's just laying on the ground, Uh like (laughs) just curled up in the fetal position. Mm -hmm. And then he gets up. And comes over and gets his shovel and he breaks open a bag of potting soil. It's like, it's like, oh my God. So it's like a 20 pound bag of potting soil. Yeah. And he tears it open and empties it in. And so his plan <laughs> is to empty bags of potting soil over her. One at a time. Okay, so I looked up I looked up the average size of elevator shafts, mm-hmm. like elevator pits, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like there's gotta be like construction codes about how big they yeah. have to be. So at the smallest, this thing would be like six by six by six. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. So that's two hundred sixteen square feet. <laughs> that bag of potting soil? Mm-hmm. Because I just bought a bunch of soil at Home Depot the other day. So I went out and I checked. You get like two? One of those bags is 0.75 cubic feet of soil. (laughs) (laughs) So he's going to sit there and dump 200, (laughs) at minimum, 276 bags of soil onto this person. So, I mean, I'm filled with questions. Again, I mean, I was when I watched it the first time. Yeah. What red flags is he raising when he buys 200 <laughs> bags of and potting he, soil? He doesn't have 300 bags of potting soil. No, there's soil. like he a, a modest like, pile of half a dozen. And, and she's maybe drugged, but But even not, so, the rate at which he's filling the hole, yeah. she could conceivably just be crawling on top of it. Yeah, so we see that later. Like, yeah. She's fully conscious and moving around. Right. And like... But if still so, somehow buried to the waist. Like, she just complied. doing that, you could just step on top of the bonnet. Right. Soil. I was like, <laughs> they're just, they're, what he's essentially doing is helping her get, get out, out of the 
<laughs> but she doesn't. He would have been better off to just leave her in the pit. Right. And let her just, just die just down starve. There. Yeah. Like then, Buffalo Bill. Like if that would be scarier. If somebody was dumping one bag of potting soil on me at a time, I would be so pissed <laughs> that by the time that I climbed out of the hole, I would kill them. <laughs> With my bare hands. Yes. Because I would be so annoyed. Yes. And, and it would take so long. <laughs> so long. Because he like, he like shakes the dirt yeah. And like when you buy potting soil like that, like it's not loose either. It's like all clumped together. Yeah. So you're just like, you're building them steps. Oh my God. I was, I was losing and it. Again, I was you laughing. can't feel bad for Missy because how dumb do you have to be to let yourself be buried? She yeah. would have to stand still and just let him fill the hole around we, her. Which we see her doing later. Um, but yeah, so the team decides that the unsub has to have gone to school, med school in the 80s because he still uses the outdated term phobias mm. instead of anxieties. Mm. Um, they think he's afraid of being alone, so he must be married. Like, or he has a dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, he would also have adopted children because he's probably impotent. Like, or he got IVF yeah. and had a baby. Like, there are other ways. There are lots of things. Okay. Um, but good step news. Kids. Yeah. There's only one man who gets this bill, <laughs> and his name is Dr. Stanley Howard. And they look him up with all the quote-unquote databases. Yeah, Cross-reference those databases. Yeah, cross-reference uh, married psychiatrists with adoption records, mm-hmm. and there's only one. Yeah. There's only one psychiatrist in all of Oregon who's ever adopted a child, mm-hmm. conveniently. Um, so uh, Prentice and JJ go to talk to Dr. Howard's wife. Oh, wait. First, Garcia is looking at his bank records and she's yes. like, I'm also seeing a seriously depleted savings account. Did you notice the number at which the savings account started? It was like ten thousand dollars. It was $12,000 yeah. yeah. and it was down to $7,000. Yeah. Like, and, and you're like, and they tell us as a psychiatrist, he should have more than $12,000 should have better savings, savings than me. And, <laughs> and they say it's depleting rapidly, but they we come to find out that it's been like a year of him living off his savings and he's only spent five thousand dollars in Portland. I don't believe you. Because his wife, when she's nagging him about the cold food, says that she paid Jessica's tuition or whatever. Yeah. So they're paying for private school in Portland out of his savings, plus all of their other expenses. Yeah. And they've only spent five thousand dollars this past year. They are frugal. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> um yeah. So um Prentice and JJ go to talk to Dr. Howard's wife, who was unaware that he had shut down his practice a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um she also I hate this part. <laughs> didn't know that the entire building where his office had been has been demolished. Yeah, that's so weird. That is, I don't believe that for no. one second. Like, maybe you would, she's helping him find victims. Would you not know if Nate's school was demolished? <laughs> <laughs> it would be in the news. And he was just going to work every day. And like, <laughs> you just had no idea. Like, no, he's at his job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, um, yeah, she also mentions that her family owns commercial property downtown. Mm. Yeah. So maybe they've been living off her family money, and that's why he's only needed $5,000 out of his savings. Maybe, but I was just really bothered by the $12,000 yeah. starting point for the savings account. If his like, savings account sir, had been like $60,000 and it was down to $7,000, I'd be like, okay, we have a desperate man here. Yeah, which would make sense yeah, because right. psychiatrists make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, anyway, um, so Dr. Howard is still emptying bags of dirt into his enormous hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and the victim is fully standing yeah. at this point and begging him to stop. Um, there's literally no way he could bury her alive unless she is a willing participant. Right, because this, she's like up to the waist now and yeah, she hasn't tried to climb. She could just climb, climb out. Um, but he keeps asking her if it's worse than she thought. Um, but she's too stupid to climb out. And he and very quickly fills from her waist like all the way up. Yeah, it, with two bags. Yeah. He opens two bags. Mm-hmm. And in those two bags, she goes from being buried to the waist to... Like just her reaching just, hand. Just her fingertips. So, so ostensibly her hand is raised completely over her head, right? For her to still... Yeah. So that way we're talking about much higher than six foot elevator pet. Right. So it's probably, because it said they could be 6 to 12 feet deep. So it's mm. probably like 8 to 10. Sure. Which means way more than uh, 200 some bags. 276 bags right. of body soil. And even more than just two to go from her waist, because it's not even from her waist to her head, it's from her waist to her outstretched hand. Yeah. But they're, it's magic, potting soil. Um, so yeah, uh, the team storms the Goodman Institute building mm-hmm. um there's like a sign labeling who all was like housed in the building but the building's empty yeah so, so it's all fake yeah businesses. it's all fake you just imagine him sitting there with his letter board and like all the little letters like coming up with fake names <laughs> i wish i would have paid more attention to them because i want to know if they're all as stupid as the good man institute <laughs> um so they chase the unsub up the stairs in what is the absolute lowest speed chase I've ever seen. Like mm-hmm. he's like wearing like a suit and wingtips and he's like, he starts out like one flight of stairs, mm-hmm. but uh, like ahead of Morgan and Hotch. And you're telling me Morgan cannot <gasps> run up a flight of stairs fast enough to catch up with that man. Apparently not. I don't believe it. Um, they're, they get all the way up to the roof. Uh, Dr. Howard is going to jump off the roof. Hotch tries to talk him down. And Dr. Howard tells Hotch that he thinks that uh, Hotch's greatest fear is not being able to save everyone. Mm-hmm. And then he throws himself off the roof. Where he lands at the feet of two local police officers. Yes. Who have just like, been splattered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then Hotch is still on his wild assumptions mm-hmm. and assumes that Howard must have said that because Missy is close by. And, and like, it, why? Yeah. Why it makes like, you think that? It, you should be thinking she's probably already dead. Yeah. And they lose all urgency to find Missy once Dr. Howard jumps. They're just like, hmm, yeah, they're like, oh, gotta be around here somewhere. <laughs> Weird. Huh. Um, so Reed is like, oh, hey, um, I found Dr. Howard's notes because I've been upstairs reading notebooks and uh, I found out about Missy and her trip and her fear of the walls crumbling around her. Mm. And Agent Calvert's like, what could that mean? <laughs> you're like, oh, my God. What does that uh, all mean? So then Hotch notices all the dirt under Dr. Howard's nails. Mm-hmm. And they're like, he must have buried her alive. <gasps> but where? Yeah, because everything's concrete around them. They're, like, right, right. downtown. <laughs> um, so they're, like, is there a basement? She's probably buried alive in the basement. You're, like, why would you think that? Like, right. It's like, you don't know how long he's had her. Like, she could be literally anywhere, but yeah. they assume that it's the basement. Mm-hmm. Um, so they find her. She is uh, very loosely buried in the potting soil because they just grab her by her, like, wrist. Yeah, and, and pull, pull her, her straight out. out. Which, I mean, at this time, she's been buried for a while. Yeah. Minutes have passed. 
And it doesn't take that many minutes to be brain dead. Yeah, if you're completely without if, oxygen. Yeah. Which, I mean, maybe she was breathing just fine in there because it's such loosely packed potting soil. Probably. I don't know. But I mean, you would think she'd be brain dead by then, at yeah. the very least. Um, but they managed to resuscitate her by yelling her name twice. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, just like, Missy! Like, Missy! <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> and like coughs all the dirt up. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yay. They've saved another victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get our next quote. Eleanor Roosevelt once said, you gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. You must do the thing which you think you cannot do. Hmm. Thanks, Eleanor. Uh, so on the plane, Morgan asks Hotch what the actual fuck is wrong with him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we can tell something's going on here. Yeah. And Hotch is like, uh, we made a deal not to profile each other. And you're like, first of all, that shouldn't be an issue because you're both terrible at it. Secondly. And this isn't a profile. This is, I'm another human being in your proximity yeah, and can tell just, if something's off. Yeah. He's just like, hey, you're really out of sorts. What's going on? Yeah. Because we can all tell. It's something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Morgan tells him that he needs to calm down because they're going to be okay without Gideon. And then Hotch admits to Morgan that Haley left him. And then mm. it just kind of fades to black. Man. This episode had me wondering a lot about Hotch Watch. How do you feel like Hotch is taking the departure of his family? In a human way? <laughs> no. No, I don't think so. Yeah, Because it's like, he's just like... He, I mean, we don't see a whole lot, but he's just like, he seems like he's just doing the sad sack thing where it's like, oh, my wife like, left. Poor me. Poor like it, me. Like it has nothing to do with his own actions and he's exactly. a victim of Like he's situation. not doing anything. He's still right. going to work. It's like, is yeah. it worth, like what's more important? Like you need to make this choice. Is it your family or your job? And he has very clearly chosen his job, so you don't get to sad sack around and act right. like maybe that's you're what the victim me about here. it. Is that he doesn't do anything to try to win them back? He just accepts, like, okay, they're gone. Yeah, and it's like if you were really committed to it it would be like you know what i'm gonna take a leave of absence let's get some counseling let's see what we can do he's proving her right yeah she's exactly right to go yeah because he's always going to choose his job yeah and it's like that's that's okay like if you are really that committed to Mm -hmm. your job which is ostensibly a very important job sure you know like they're supposed to be good at it so they say. Right? <laughs> so like, they claim. But yeah, it's like, okay, so like some people just need to be career people. Right. And like, that's okay if that's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. But like, don't act like you're the victim because you chose to be a career person and that's what you need. Yeah. Because he's just basically pouting because he can't have everything he wants. It's like without I doing anything, I can't without have, working for it. I can't have my job that I focus on one hundred percent, and my wife and child who I ignore unless it's convenient to me. Right? Like you can't, you don't get to do that. <laughs> well, we had him at a nine, 
Would you take away a point? I would take away one point for that. Mm -hmm. And I would take an additional point away for his dumbass comment about how he can't figure out why Gideon has quit (laughs) his job because that made me so angry. Yes. Because they're all just so clueless. They're like, I can't believe he left. I'm like, his his girlfriend was murdered in his bed. bed. It's a lot to take in. Yeah. That's true. He's at a seven now. And I've, it's going to go down fast from here. <laughs> I can just tell. It's tanking. <laughs> um, how would you rate the profile as far as accuracy, helpfulness, and plausibility on a scale of one to ten? I mean, again, it's always, it's always pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah, and it's always mostly plausible. Helpful, though. I don't know. I guess it helped them a little bit because they were... Looking at places around where they lived, but shouldn't they be doing that anyway? Yeah. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, was it actually helpful or was it solved by them just doing normal police work that they should have been doing anyway? Right. Like, shouldn't plainclothes officer, or I mean, like, regular... The regular detectives should have just been going around. City police should have already been looking into this. Looking around at all those places and noticing things like that. Also, like, the trail thing. Like, you're telling me you found three bodies on the trail and at no point did you think to look anywhere else on that trail (laughs) either? They don't need to check the rest of the trail. They found all the bodies. Yeah. You already know that there were two separate graves. How do you know that there aren't 12 more bodies. Is it a pattern? Is it a pattern? I don't know. Well, the thing is, with the rest of those bodies, they were buried three and one and three and one. So Morgan was right the whole time. It was a pattern. It was a pattern, and we made fun of him, and we were wrong. No, I have no idea. Um, I get maybe a five. I give it right yeah. in the middle. Not the worst, not the best. I feel like Just it's there. like their profile thing is usually when I want to give them a low score on helpfulness, it's because it's like, you had everything you needed. Right. And you didn't use it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it should have been more helpful to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Like, you know, they found the flyers and they should have called the number. Just but use they, the flyer. They didn't. Yeah, you ignored the it's evidence. It's the Dotson situation. Yeah. All over See, yeah, from, from episode one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have our third white man of the season. We're three to one now, 75% yeah. for season three. 44 to eight overall, so still around 85% white men. Nice. So, I mean, at what point, I guess there's still a lot of seasons to go, but like, at what point are the numbers too far that it have to be so many not white men in a row to f- reverse the trend, you know? No, it'll just be interesting to track... Season like season. season by season yeah. to see. See what's different. Yeah, see what's going on. Well, the next episode is another good one. I'm pretty excited about Children of the Dark. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Which is coming up next. I'm going to have a lot to say about that one. Yeah, I remember because that one started playing right after I finished this one. I was like, ooh. Yeah, this is, <laughs> it's another good one. Uh, wherever you're listening, be sure to leave us a five-star review. You can find us on Instagram at the unsub is a white man. Our theme music is composed and performed by Nate Youngblood, and the podcast is produced by Nate Youngblood. Thanks, Nate. And until next week, we'll be slowly being buried in a pit. <laughs>